Well, good morning. All right. Fired up. I like it. All right. If you have your pew Bibles, we will be on page 1595 in Luke chapter four. Go ahead and get to Luke chapter four, page 1595. It will also be on the screens if you are following along from there. Uh, If you are joining us online, a special welcome to you. Uh, And so we will be in Luke chapter four. When we come to God's word, we know that it is his inspired word. Uh, We learn in second Timothy chapter three that all scripture is God breathed. Uh, And so we don't come expecting the universe to speak to us or we're not trying to find truth within ourselves. These are God's words. And we take them very seriously. They transform us. They have the power to transform us. And so we take that very seriously. Uh, And so before we open up God's word, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Bow with me. Father, this morning we come expecting uh, for your Holy Spirit to draw near. Lord, we long to hear from you. Many of us in this room are hurting. We're hurried. There's so much going on. And Lord, in this time of worship, we we slow down and we want to hear from you. So, Father God, I pray that you would move in our hearts, transform us so that we might then go and transform the heart of the city. Keep that before us, Father. Father God, watch over us as we interact with your word now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter four, verse one, it says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all the tempting, he left him until an opportune time. May God bless the reading of his word. A few weeks ago, my family went to Disney World. I don't know how you feel about the mouse. People are oddly opinionated about Disney World, but we went. And so it was myself, my wife, my daughter, and some of our extended family, my my in-laws. And we had a great time. And my daughter is of the age now. She's seven, and she enjoys the kind of smaller roller coasters. They're pretty spread out in the park, so you have to walk in between them. And we would go to one ride and then go to the next. And we would walk back and forth all day long. I found myself throughout the course of the week walking eight to ten miles a day. And, and I, I enjoyed it. There was something about the releasing of endorphins that made me feel good about myself. I, I was kind of getting into the groove. And so I decided that when we get home, I'm going to start something new. 
I'm going to start this habit. I'm going to start a hobby. I'm going to go jogging at night. Uh, I haven't been able to cycle lately. There's, I don't know if y'all know this, Christmas is kind of a busy time around here. And so I haven't had time to cycle. So I decided I'm going to wait till everyone goes to sleep. I'm going to get some jogging shoes, going to get a flashlight, going to get some headphones, and I'm going to go jogging. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, Saturday, we got home and it, we got home very late. So I didn't have an opportunity to go. The next day, Sunday, I get here, um, lead in the journey classroom or, or Sunday school group, missional life community, and then lead the ignite service, get home. And I'm looking forward to jogging all day. Like I've got my route plotted out. I know where I'm going to go. I'm excited about it. I've got my batteries on my headphones charged. I'm, I'm ready. Um, the day kind of draws to an end. We're unpacking all day. And I tend to like to nap on Sundays. That's a sacred moment for me. Any nappers on Sundays here? Okay, a couple of us. All right, we're all in this together. And so um, I, I didn't get to nap that day because we were unpacking and putting our house back in order. The day finally draws to an end. My daughter's asleep. My wife is watching a show on the couch. I'm like, this is it. This is my opportunity. So I start getting ready. I get my clothes on, get my shoes on. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but there was this little voice in the back of my head going, it's 9.30. Why don't you just, just relax? It's been a long day. I mean, yesterday you drove eight hours. Today you went, had to work all day. And it's just been a long day. And so just relax, kick back, spend some time with your wife, watch television. It'll be fine. Now, I'm a man of resolution. And I'm stubborn. So I sat down on that couch and I fell asleep. And I'm going to tell you, I still haven't been jogging and it's been like three weeks. So, uh, I don't know about you, but there was this voice tempting me to do something that I didn't want to do. And in that moment, it was to sit, to not go jogging, to not do the thing that I had been planning on doing. But there was this temptation in the back of my mind saying, ah, you don't have to do that. Just relax, get comfortable, watch TV, prop your feet up. Things will be fine. You can do it tomorrow. And maybe you're tempted when it comes to exercise to not exercise or to not diet or eat healthy. Or maybe for you, it's something more sinister. Maybe for you, it's an actual sin that you find yourself tempted to. Maybe you find yourself with a um, hot head and you blow up on people. And your knee-jerk reaction to your significant other is to always berate them in anger. Maybe it's to utilize your business position to maybe lie on your taxes Maybe it is to tell a little white lie to get out of trouble that you found yourself in for good reason. Maybe there's temptation to lust or temptation towards gossip or meddling in the, meddling in the things that aren't your business. But we face temptation. And that temptation has this odd product of pulling us away from God and closer to sin, doesn't it? And so today I want to talk about what it looks like to be tempted. And then at the very end, we're going to investigate a godly response to temptation. So let's start at verse one. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter three, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. A dove, which is the Holy Spirit, descends. And you hear the audible voice of God say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Immediately after this says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is an interesting place. If you like going down rabbit holes and rabbit trails, look up what the ancient Israelites believed about the wilderness. They believed that demons lived there. They believed it was a place of outer darkness. They believed it was a place where you should not be and you definitely should not be there alone. 
the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years facing trial and temptation and refinement before they were before they entered into the promised land. The scapegoat of Leviticus chapter 16, which bore the sins of the people of Israel, was released into the wilderness for demons to consume. It wasn't a place you wanted to be. And Jesus finds himself being led by the Spirit. It was no incident that Jesus wound up in the wilderness. It wasn't like when I'm on 385 trying to get to Woodruff Road and I find myself heading towards Spartanburg somehow. It wasn't an accident. This was intentional. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. I'm going to say something that is biblical but sounds caustic. Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes in our lives it is God who leads us through the wilderness. The most popular psalm that anyone can think of, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, he leads me, and then a few verses later he goes on to say, or pin, that yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, doesn't it seem as though the shepherd has led him through the valley of the shadow of death? What if sometimes the wilderness in our lives is orchestrated by God in order to produce specific results? You see, God is about your holiness, not your happiness. And sometimes we have to go through a period of refinement. Here's what I mean. When I was 15 years old, I got into a go-kart accident. Uh, You can laugh at that because it's ridiculous. And shattered my wrist in three different places. And my dad took me to the emergency room. In the emergency room, a young resident physician comes in and he says, here, take this. Uh, He gave me some Percocet and he said, in a few minutes, I'm going to come back. I'm going to lay you down on the table. I'm going to put my knee on your chest and I'm going to set your wrist back in place. And I laughed because I thought it was a joke. Um, A few minutes later, the medicine kicked in and sure enough, here comes this resident. He leans me back, and again, I'm still thinking, surely he's not going to do what he said he's going to do. And just like he said, puts his knee on my chest, pulls as hard as he can, you hear a loud pop, and my wrist was set back in place. What if, what if God is not the ambulance driver responding to your emergencies haphazardly? What if he is the skillful surgeon who makes the incision in order to bring about healing and wholeness? We don't like to think about that. And I'm not saying everything that happens in your life, every wilderness wandering is God's doing, but the scriptures attest that sometimes it's God that leads us through the wilderness in order to refine us. God is about your holiness. He is about your wholeness. He is about your healing. And God is doing something in your life, whether it's depression or the loss of a job, whether it is a stray young one, whatever it might be, God is producing a particular result in your life. He hasn't abandoned you in your wilderness. God has not left you alone in your wanderings. He's with you. That's just verse one. I got to keep going. Two, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. I'm prone to anxiety if Satan himself, the Hasatan, shows up. I I would be a little anxious. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Verse 3, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, there's a play on language here. In the Greek, which the New Testament is written in, there's two ways to say the word if. 
One of those ways, without getting too technical, is if you are, which you sure are, we know you are. The other way is to cast doubt. If you are, which we're not sure. Satan uses the assured way. If you are the son of God, which me and you know you are, is what he's saying here. If you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Temptation number one. Turn the stone into bread. Now what's wrong with that? The scriptures are clear. This is at the end of 40 days of fasting. So it's not a sin for Jesus to eat. Bread is not bad. Whether it's a good carb or bad carb or whatever. um, Bread's not bad. So what's the temptation here? All throughout his ministry, Jesus exhibits incredible power. He heals the blind. He heals the deaf. He heals the sick. He releases people from the bondage of sin and slavery. He even brings the dead back to life. What we never see Jesus do is utilize his power for his own good. We never see Jesus utilizing his power to serve himself. Have you ever been tempted to utilize your power, your connections, your resources to serve yourself? Just make a phone call and you can get out of this situation. Just call that powerful person you know and all of a sudden this will be wiped clean. Have you ever been tempted to do that? Um, My daughter used to be in the academy here at the church. And one day I wanted to sneak in and I wanted to see what she was up to. Uh, They have a key card system that locks the doors very secure. I happen to have a key card. Um, And so I scanned the key card, went in, and one of the teachers stops me and goes, you're not supposed to be here. And in my pride, I am not happy about this. In my pride, I kind of thought, don't you know who I am? I thought, I work here. What do you mean I can't? I can be anywhere I want to be. I was utilizing my power to serve my own desires. Temptation number one of Jesus's is utilize his power to serve his own desires. Jesus is laser focused on the father and the father's provisions throughout the course of his ministry. It's do it yourself. Utilize your power. Tell that little white lie. Do the things you need to do. Get her done. Do whatever you have to do to succeed, Jesus, and the temptation is subtle, but it's there. And when we use our own power to serve our own things, it creates in us an idol. And the scriptures are very clear what idols are in our lives. Um, Soren Kierkegaard, who was a Christian philosopher, said sin or idolatry, all sin is idolatry, is when we elevate anything to the status of God in our lives. Don't we do that? Let's talk about something we're all comfortable talking about. This is an easy example. Let's talk about money. Everybody loves talking about money, right? So um, what happens when we elevate money to the status of God in our lives? All of a sudden, all the relationships we have are about attaining more money. The investments we make are about attaining more money. The things that we do are about getting clout in order to attain more money. And all of a sudden, we have taken a morally neutral thing, which is money, and made it a God thing. And you can do this with any number of things in our lives. There's a temptation to make things into idols, iPhones, bigger TVs, better cars. There's a temptation to make relationships our idols, spouses. Let's talk about children. Raising children in Greenville is like a competitive sport. Can't we make children our idols? 
where we think about them, everything, our, our lives center around them. They're the center of our universe and everything is about them. And then all of a sudden we eschew them off to college and then they get the reality check that it's not all about them. And we take good things and we make them God things and they become idols. That's the temptation. We're going to skip Jesus' response because we're going to come back to that. Temptation 2, verse 5. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Here's the second temptation. Isn't Jesus a king? There are three um, things that we say that Jesus occupies in theology. That he's prophet, priest, and king. He, is the, he rules and reigns over all things. Jesus doesn't need Satan's permission to rule. He rules. Before he ascended into heaven, though, there was what? The cross. Here, here's the temptation. Doing the easy wrong over the hard right. The temptation was, hey, you don't have to go to the cross. I can give you all of this right now. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. You don't have to bleed for this. You don't have to suffer for this. Just bow down and worship me. And aren't we tempted in the same way to do the easy wrong over the hard right? Aren't we tempted early and often to take shortcuts? To tell little white lies? To cheat on our taxes because they can't audit all of us. And we're tempted to do the easy wrong over the hard right. And this is the second temptation. Third temptation, then we'll talk about all three as a group. Verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The, the devil's quoting Psalm 91 here, which is incredibly interesting. The devil's quoting scripture, but he's twisting it. Here's the third temptation. The third temptation is to presume upon God, to test the Lord. There is a temptation in modern Christianity to attempt to manipulate God and make him do things we want him to do. Whether it is a political candidate that you want to see elected, whether it is a job that you want to find yourself getting, whether it is health, wealth, and prosperity, there is a gospel out there that says if you have enough faith and you give enough money, those are usually the two things that they talk about, then God will do X, Y, and Z. It's called the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. You can find it espoused by televangelists. You can find it on the bookstore or the bookshelves of Christian bookstores. Uh, it's guys who are flying around in $54 million jets and have pleats in their pants that can cut bread. And what they will say is if you just are faithful and if you just love Jesus and you give to my ministry, then God's going to do these things for you. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying God won't bless you financially. I'm not saying God won't bless you with health. There's plenty of people in this room that have been financially blessed by the Lord, that have been blessed health-wise by the Lord. What I am saying is we don't get to make God our cosmic bellboy. 
We don't have a formula that can then force God's hand. If we say the right prayers and spit out the right verses, all of a sudden God has to do these things. We don't get to do that to God. And what we tend to do is not try to manipulate God or presume upon God, but the, the average Christian tends to go the other way with it. We tend to get angry when God doesn't answer prayers in a certain way, right? Or God doesn't bless us in a certain way. But God, I did these things and I, I assumed that you would do this and you didn't. And now I'm mad or disappointed or upset with you. You let this happen and you could have stopped it and now I'm upset and we, we presume upon God. Who are we to take God to court? Who are we to take the Lord of all creation and question him? If you want to see how that works out, read the book of Job. Here's a spoiler alert. It doesn't go well. Um, God knows everything and I, I barely passed French class. Who am I to bring accusations against God? Yet the temptation is there, isn't it? God, why didn't you do this? Where were you when this happened? Why would you abandon me here? Those are the temptations of Jesus. Let's look at his responses. Verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Verse 8, Jesus answered, It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 12, Jesus answered, It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. few things. Jesus responds to temptation with scripture. Now, most sermons that I listen to about this topic stopped right there. And they'll say, memorize your Bible. And when temptation comes, boom, you can pull out first Thessalonians two, three, and, and bam, you got Satan. And that's what we tend to do. And we tend to treat it like it's this Harry Potter magic wand duel. But here's the reality about Jesus and his ministry. Jesus spent so much time in the arms of the Father that quoting scriptural was a a natural overflow to temptation. It's good to memorize scripture. David said, I have stored your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. But more so than memorizing scripture, it is better to spend time in the word, communing with the Lord, so that when temptation hits your life, and it will, and it will today, that you have been so close with the Father that your natural response is to say no, because it's written. So what are these temptations about? Did you notice that all of these temptations are working towards making Jesus very comfortable? Like like there's no temptation here that would put Jesus out in any way. It wouldn't get him out of his comfort zone in any way. In fact, it's making him skip a lot of the harsh things in his life or asking him to skip a lot of the harsh things that would happen. I believe Satan's greatest strategy to derail us and make us innocuous Christians is to lull us into comfort. We don't need demon possession here in America. We don't need people possessed by demons. We have iPhones. We have binge marathons on Netflix We have options at our disposal. We are so comfortable that we don't want to get outside of our comfort zone and utilize our time, talent, and treasures for the kingdom of God. 
We don't want to be put out. We don't want to be inconvenienced. We're busy people. We live a hurried life, and we are doing that in order to attain comforts instead of thinking about other people. And so most of the time, we are satisfied with coming to church on Sundays and sometimes on Wednesdays, and we think that's Christendom, that that's it. And the reality is Jesus was and you are invited into the greatest story ever told, but it's going to get uncomfortable. And you watched a video earlier about um, Graydon Tomlinson. I love this story about him. Um, he, he at first was hesitant to adopt. And when asked why, he said, because I'm comfortable. Adoption's hard. Having a newborn baby is hard. Babies don't sleep through the night and they throw up on you. I mean, they do other stuff too, but primarily they don't sleep tonight and they throw up on you. And it was his comfort that was keeping him from adopting Daisy. What is your comfort keeping you from doing for the kingdom? And where are you willing to get uncomfortable in order to push forward the kingdom? Maybe for you it looks like you have to start giving. And I'm, I'm talking about money. I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable. Maybe you need to start giving money to the church. Maybe for you, you're giving money, but you're not talking to people about Jesus. Maybe for you, it looks like opening your mouth. There's this quote that I can't stand. It circulates on Facebook every now and then. It says, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. I understand what they're saying. I get it. I just think it's an excuse to be comfortable in our faith. When are we going to talk to people about Jesus? When are we going to serve those who are the least of these? When are we going to stand in the gap for, let's say, racial reconciliation? When are you going to do those things? What is God calling you to do? What are you willing to get uncomfortable about? Mason Simmons told me earlier this week, I'm not sure if he made this up or not, but it was profound. He said, you either get the pain of discipleship or the pain of disappointment. And I thought that was pretty profound for a young Mason Simmons. So are you willing to undergo the pain of discipleship? Are you willing to serve the kingdom? Because God's inviting you into something bigger. Last verse, and then we'll, we'll, we'll land this plane. When the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Now, Satan never physically shows back up in the book of Luke, but he does show up often. He shows up when Peter professes who Jesus is, and then literally six verses later tries to derail Jesus' mission, and Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. He shows up when Judas Iscariot sells him out for 30 shekels, pieces of silver. He shows up when the same crowds that were chanting Hosanna and the highest a week later are chanting crucify him. He shows up all throughout Jesus' ministry. And he'll show up in your life because Satan is luring you into comforts so that we will take our eyes off the kingdom. Push back against that and run into the arms of the Father. First Prez, let's pray. Father, this morning we, we don't have a formula to combat temptation. We don't have a certain verse to memorize that when we say it, it wards off evil. But what we do have is a surefire strategy to run into your arms because you are a stronghold. You are a refuge. You are our great God and Father. And Lord, because of the finished work of Jesus, we can run into your arms. And so, Lord, whatever temptation we're facing, whether it's anger, whether it's alcoholism or some sort of addiction, 
whether it is lust, whether it is to gossip about people and tear them down behind their backs and then be nice to them and to their faces, whatever that temptation towards sin is, I pray that we would run into your arms and seek shelter from it. Because we can't do this on our own. We can't fight temptation off on our own forever. And so, Father, help us to run to you today. In Jesus Christ's name we pray.